0: Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org.
1: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Clagett and Jason Kong.
2: Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong and Oh, boy. It's our last show here with Nicole Clegget. Uh You know, Aging Matters will continue, but Nicole, you uh, we mentioned this a little bit last week, but you've got a, a new opportunity on your hands, and unfortunately, we won't get to spend Saturday afternoons with you.
0: I know. I don't know what I will ever do with my Saturday afternoons.
2: Uh, I'm sure <laughs> I'm I, I will. i just
0: kidding. I'll miss you. <laughs> I'll
2: find a way to send you some coffee at 4 o'clock every Saturday. I, I, I,
0: I greatly appreciate that. This has been an amazing opportunity over the last several years, but I am super excited that the show will certainly continue. Continue on, and we're going to introduce our co host a little bit later in the show. So, makes you want to listen and hear what's going to happen next, I hope.
2: Yes, the suspense is <laughs> building. It's building. Well, let's get into our first topic at hand. And, Nicole, we're going to spend some time talking about something that uh, is a little bit scary, and that's the prospect of long term care and the financial costs associated with that. And to have a thorough discussion on that, We've brought in Jana Wallace. Jana Wallace is an attorney at law with Omega Elder Law. Jana, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me. Hi, Janice. So glad to have you here. And I know, you know, we just went through the whole holiday season and uh, family members may have had the opportunity to peek in on loved ones or visit loved ones and see that perhaps there has been a change in the physical or mental status of the one that they're caring for and now are suddenly and starting to look at the different resources that exist in our community. I can tell you by the uptick of calls that we have gotten at Transitions, Guiding Lights, that a lot of families are looking at potentially bringing in Um, either care providers or looking at potential placement for a loved one, and then the whole quandary of, well, how in the world is this going to get paid for when folks realize Medicare doesn't pay for everything? When that pops up in the brain, I think folks start to get really, really concerned uh, and they they start to reach out and they start to wonder, well, how in the world are we going to come up with the dollars to do this? So looking forward to you shedding some light on the different ways that we can pay for long-term care this afternoon.
3: Sure, and it is a daunting um, prospect when you're looking at a family member who um, maybe you've realized is no longer safe at home. Uh, so what I wanted to talk to you about is, um, as you stated, how to pay for long-term care. And when I'm speaking about long-term care in this talk, I'm, I'm speaking about um, uh, long-term care in a facility, and as many folks may be aware already, uh, I know you are, Nicole, um, long-term care in facilities is provided at two broad levels. There's assisted living level of care um, uh, where uh, the patient um, maybe needs some help just with a couple of activities of daily living, but they're still fairly mobile and very healthy. It's um, just not safe to be at home any longer on their own. The other end of the spectrum is skilled nursing care, where um, a patient needs the assistance of a registered nurse on a daily basis and is much sicker and needs much more care. Um, So one of the first aspects of figuring out what a family member may need is assessing their medical needs to determine what level of facility that you're going to uh, require for them. Um, and that figures in a lot to the cost. Um, the Genworth survey shows that in North Carolina for this year, the average cost of assisted living is around, and this is just an average across the state uh, is thirty eight hundred dollars per month for assisted living. Um, and I can tell you in a metropolitan area such as Raleigh, it's usually higher than that. Um, and then it's an the same for the survey tiers shows as
0: well, for- you know, all the different various levels of care as people progress, th- those costs tend to go way, way up.
3: That's true. That is true. For skilled nursing care, the same survey shows it's um, an average of about 7,300 across North Carolina. So that's a lot of money and that's something to be concerned about.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, you know, when folks start to suddenly look at long-term care, and is, let's just talk about assisted living, you know, typically the two payer sources that folks uh, are, are commonly aware of are either Medicaid or private pay. Mm-hmm. But I do know that there are some other options out there uh, for folks who have loved ones who are... Um, Uh, perhaps somebody that served during the time of war. There is that whole Veterans Aid and Attendance benefit. I call that a little-known secret in in long-term care. Um, Are there other types of Mm -hmm. uh, different programs that folks can uh, access that may be able to assist them in, in the payment of assisted living level of care?
3: Um, as far as um, as government payers, th- those two that you named are the only government payers out there. It's, it's Medicaid and the program in North Carolina that covers assisted living-level care is called Special Assistance. And as you alluded, um, if you are a wartime vet or the surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, um, you may be eligible for VA aid and attendance. Um, the, the thing that... Um, The other source of funds, and of course this requires the individual to have done planning well ahead, is to purchase long-term care insurance from a private insurance company. And If you're fortunate enough to have done that, of course, usually it will cover assisted living care.
0: A lot of times people um, just think, okay, well, I don't want to spend all of mom's dollars on care. Uh, she wanted to leave that to family members or things of that nature. So since Medicaid pays for it, why don't we just go the Medicaid route? But I think it's super important for people to really look around and, and try to get an understanding of what the different payer sources Will equate to on a you know day in and day out basis for their loved ones, because what a person can get with a Medicaid level of, of a, as a payer source versus what a person can get for care when they're paying privately, sometimes that is a very, very harsh difference when folks start looking around.
3: That's true there um, assisted living facilities do not have to take special assistance Medicaid. Um, and actually, it's a Medicaid waiver, just to be kind of technical, but most people refer to that a, a special assistance program as a Medicaid program. Um, <clears throat> so there are many, many assisted living facilities that you, that you can't even do that. You're going to have to come up with private pay. Um, the VA aid and attendance, of course, is actually a check that you can apply toward the cost of your care no matter what your situation is. And it's just a matter of meeting those, um, those criteria to get, to get those benefits. Um, I would say that if, if a family uh, has a family member um, who needs, uh, say, skilled nursing care and is looking to qualify for Medicaid and is trying to preserve whatever assets they can under that program, um, the family, is, is, it's well worth it to go and talk to an experienced elder law attorney. I myself is cert- am certified by the State Bar as an expert in elder law. Um, those are called specialists uh, in the elder law field. Any, any elder law attorney that you approach about this, you want to make sure they do a lot of crisis Medicaid planning. But there are... Um, Criteria, uh, financial criteria, of course, to, to qualify for Medicaid um, and an elder law attorney can help you um, take advantage of some of the uh, exceptions in the Medicaid rules uh, to help the family preserve as many assets as possible while qualifying the individual for Medicaid. Yeah. Especially and the so then when we look care. at
0: the whole skilled nursing uh, uh, facility situation, you know, back when I first started in, in long-term care, um, the the whole landscape l- really looked very, very different. You know, assisted living was really more of what, we, what we're seeing more now in the independent living communities where you have, you know, some older adults who are pretty active, who really need very, very minimal, if any, assistance at all. Um, and then the um, nursing homes that when I first started in my career, they were really the folks that you're currently now seeing in the assisted living buildings, and then, you know, your hospital uh, had a lot of times the folks that you're currently seeing in the nursing homes, and so sometimes I think people kind of walk into this world of long-term care with a lens of what they may have experienced with a grandparent or a parent, and the landscape has really changed. What can be provided as far as the level of care in some of these assisted living communities can be quite surprising, and really... um, Um, there are no two that are the same, and that's what makes it all the more confusing. You know, a lot of what they are able to provide, they have to provide a base level of care. But from the physical perspective, a lot of what they're able to provide has more to do with staffing and RN oversight. And I really think that it's important that when families are looking at their long-term care options, that they really look at the primary disease diagnosis of their loved one and look at the trajectory of what that disease is going to look like in the future if it takes its normal course. To help them make that decision about what community they move their loved one into so that hopefully they don't have to keep moving a loved one from uh, long-term care community to long-term care community. Because a lot of what you're seeing now in the nursing home levels of care are folks that are just so clinically complex that they could not be cared for in assisted living or unfortunately it tends to be a catchment for a lot of the folks who are just Medicaid eligible.
3: Uh, I, I would agree with that. I, I would agree with that that the care in assisted living facilities has gotten um, a lot more extensive um, and uh, they often have home health agencies coming in to assist with that um, in, in different in different places. Um, what I find though is if, if the re- financial resources are limited the family may not have a choice um, about what they try to angle for. Um, in that, because it's so difficult to qualify for Special Assistance Medicaid, because it has a bright line monthly income limit that's very low, um, and it has been low for a number of years. And I'm hoping, as you know, a, a point of health policy is that our legislature will look into that soon and raise those income limits. Um, the monthly limit for somebody to, to qualify for special assistance um, in, a, in a regular assisted living bed is just twelve forty a month gross. Um, and that knocks out a lot of people. Um, and then uh, for, um, for a memory care unit in an assisted living facility to qualify for special assistance, the income limit is fifteen eighty a month. Um, <clears throat> so um, options for assisted living can be kind of limited in that regard, and it's a shame.
2: Yeah, that... Uh- when it comes to long term care it's it's such a hard field to navigate and that is why having an expert there along with you to guide you is is so key janna uh, I want to let everyone know that if they want to get a hold of an attorney uh, you as you said you are an elder law attorney with omega elder law is omegaelderlaw.com the best place for folks to find you yes perfect omegaelderlaw.com. Jana Wallace, thank you so much for your time. She is an attorney at law with Omega Elder Law, and we will continue with more Aging Matters right after this. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic
1: is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claggett from Transitions Guiding Lights. Here's your host, Jason Kong.
2: FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. Find more about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.com org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, um, you know, it, it feels like we can't go a show without mentioning something related to COVID-19 and how that <laughs> has impacted our lives. And, you know, uh, while it has changed our lives, so many facets still continue to uh, carry on and we just have to adapt to it. And one of those is, is the process of grief and bereavement. And to have a discussion on that, we've brought in Haven Parrott, who is the manager of bereavement services at Transitions Life Care. Haven, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon.
0: Thank you for having me. So glad to have you here. And, you know, we were talking about some some issues around grief when we were talking about sort of building out the show and I really think it would it's really smart to have a conversation about how we're having to grieve differently right now. I mean grief is already such a complicated topic and you know Everybody grieves very differently when, when they lose a loved one, and you may grieve differently from one loved one to another, just depending upon your relationship. But then on top of all of that, with COVID-19, when we have to remain so- socially distant from one another, you know, how can we go through the grief process well, and how can we support one another?
4: Yeah I mean there is no doubt that COVID has definitely made what is already a challenging experience that of grieving the loss of a loved one uh, even more challenging more overwhelming the isolation the loneliness um, and supporting somebody who is that you want to be with that you who is uh, grieving the loss of a loved one looks very different as well because of the restrictions Um, there are no hugs There's no, you know, there's not that physical presence, Um, but we can connect. Um, We do have technology and and while it is not the same as being there, it's not nothing either. Um, At Transitions Grief Care, we've been offering grief support um, via Zoom and phone, you know, individual counseling, expressive art groups, mindful meditation, conversations on grief, all kinds of layers of support Um, through telehealth, and we found that, you know, meaningful connection through technology is not only possible, it does help to reduce isolation and loneliness, which are the two major beasts um, that many people greet and meet in in grief. And it also can be quite helpful and healing. Um, We found that using video chatting, uh, you know, using your video can provide a greater sense of connection than using the audio alone. But of course, that's whatever most, feels most comfortable. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about how to make use of tech technology to care for somebody who's grieving um, if that's okay. Um, I would love that, just, you know, and I, I know yeah. a lot
0: of times people keep hearing the word Zoom, Zoom, Zoom and people are feeling zoomed out, but it is so, so vitally important. I mean, we already know the time around the death of a loved one, everybody sort of rallies around the individual and, and to some degree that's still happening in person with some limited in-person funerals and things of that nature. But for most people who are grieving, there is then that period of time that once the busyness stop and the people stop, it gets very, very quiet. So maybe even, I'm hoping, some of the things that you're suggesting may be something we can continue to incorporate after COVID-19, especially when we have family members that are scattered across the country to really help support folks going through the grieving process.
4: Absolutely. And I do think that's one of the gifts that we're finding in all of this is that we we can do more than we thought we, uh, than we knew we could. Um, to stay connected um, using technology. And I do I understand the um, exhaustion with, with uh, you know, the Zoom, but it is, it is a way to connect and it is something to be grateful for. Um, you know, People can pray, meditate, practice yoga together using video or phone. And that's not maybe something you thought about before that you always thought you had to be in person to do those things. But I guess what I would say um, to someone trying to support a, a friend or a loved one who is grieving is that the, to take the initiative to check in um, on the griever with no expectation that the griever will want to talk, they might not want to, um, or that maybe they do want to talk. But respecting the grievers' desire um, and just wherever they are at that moment in time, if they w- if they want to chat, great. And if they don't, just committing um, yourself to taking the initiative to check in, saying to the griever, "Look, I'm gonna. If it's okay with you, I'm gonna. I'm gonna call every other day or every week or whatever." Um, and I'm, I, I'm not expecting anything from you. I just want you to know that this is me being there for you. And I'm going to call, and if you want to talk, great. And if you don't want to talk, I just, I'm just just going to check in with you. But not putting the pressure on the griever to have to reach out. Um, you know, we often say, let me know if you need something to people, which is a, Uh, which is a lot burden. They're not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not. Um, but just to say, kind of make an arrangement, look, I'm uh, here's my commitment to you. There's no pressure. There's no expectation, but I'm going to be here for you virtually or on the phone. Um, and, and whatever that means in that moment, um, that's, that's what that is. Um, so what do you say when you call them I and mean, you have made that commitment to, you know, to, to FaceTime or to whatever, to check in? So what do you say? Um, I think that finding the right words is one of the big, biggest challenges, whether we're in COVID or not. When you're,
0: hey, talking, I would agree, um, Haven. You know, I think one of the things you? that folks run into is actually the fear of saying something and then not being able to deal Mm. with whatever emotion may happen on the other end, not feeling like they're a haven parrot being able to counsel a person. And what if that person suddenly becomes explosively angry? Or what if that person, it seems very, very sad and weepy and, you know, me on the other end, not understanding, well, how do I help that person through this moment? And so I think sometimes people don't connect because they're just worried about, what could happen if they do?
4: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And there's a natural awkwardness. Um, I, I, there just is this awkwardness around a griever um, that, that happens. And just to acknowledge that, like in yourself, just to know and to also realize that your job is not to fix anything. This is not something that will get fixed. This is not, it's not your job to um, to cure this. Grief is not a disease. It's not a diagnosis. It is a natural response um, to losing someone you love. Um, and trying to say things that are silver lining type of things like, at least she's not suffering anymore or at least he's in a better place. Those things just actually diminish the loss and, and, and Um, They cover over the very raw and very necessary emotions that you were talking about, the explosive anger or um, crying. Those are natural responses. Anger is a response. Um, What's underneath anger very many times is just hurt. Um, And and just to let that be what it is, not to try to fix it. Um, We tend to want our friends to feel better so that we will feel better, Um, and that's really natural, but this is not about us. Um, Helping us feel better is not the job of the griever, and if a griever feels like they can't be honest and raw and angry and sad and crying, if they feel that that is too much for us, they will shut down, they just won't be honest. but grief is messy, and if you can just let it be messy, if you can understand that it's not linear, that people don't get a little bit better every day, um, they get – people do get better, but not on anybody's timetable. It doesn't look – it looks more like a stock market graph than it does a, a linear progression um, sometimes it gets better and then it gets way worse and to just understand that that is the nature of grief um, I would love to read you a quick poem that helps me a lot when I um, when I encounter somebody who is just raw and hurting and I'm dealing with my own feelings of wanting to help of wanting to fix um, can I read you this
0: or that'd be fine
4: Yeah, it's just a quick point. But it says, when you meet someone deep in grief, slip off your needs and set them by the door. Enter barefoot, this darkened chapel, hollowed by loss, hallowed by sorrow. Its gray stone walls and floor. You, congregation of one, are there to listen, not to sing. So kneel in the back pew make no sound, let the candles speak. It's written by Patricia Runkle, and I just keep that in mind that I need to slip off my needs and leave them at the door when I am talking to someone who is in that place that I really can only approach and not apprehend. I can't know what the other person is is really feeling. Um, So that
0: just helps me. And also to try to not make it about yourself, right? Is if you don't get the response Absolutely. from that person that you want, it's really not about you. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. when you're in situations of helping support a person in grief, you're probably, chances are, a lot of the times also grieving for that very same person, that lost. So it can get even more yeah. complicated when you have multiple people in grief in the same moment.
4: Absolutely. 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 Um, you know, so what are the things that are helpful to say? Um, I, um, I, I think that it's really important to say the deceased's name um, and to if you have a story to share, you know, remember that time that she or I, I think those are the types of things that are really helpful. Um, and and you'll know if it's not appropriate at that point. But just to not to not to dance around the loss, but to acknowledge it that this person, um, you know, death ends a rela- uh, Excuse me, death ends a life, but it doesn't end a relationship. Um, Maury Schwartz of Tuesdays with Maury said that, and whoever is grieving is very much still in relationship with the deceased. Um, so to completely uh ignore the presence of the one who is physically absent is is almost a flight uh to to the to the, the griever uh, because they're very much in relationship with that person so saying the name um just saying i know this is difficult uh i'm sorry take your time tell me more and it's okay it is okay to just say
0: nothing, to listen, to sit in quiet. Um, I mean there's something with, to be said about yeah, just that that quiet, that quiet yeah. space and I think as Americans we have trouble with that quiet space, but I tend to crave more and more of that space myself when I'm with another person. We don't need to fill it all up with idle chatter. Can we just have a moment to be quiet and just be?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes the bereaved needs to be quiet too. They don't have anything, in other words, the, what they're feeling just doesn't have verbal expression at the moment. Um, it could be coming out in tears or in just, um, in, just in silence And to and to be okay to sit on the line or, or on the video chat or on the phone and nobody says anything, but there is this connection. There is someone hearing my my sorrow too deep for words and they're staying on the line with me and i know that sounds so like when you're on the phone with somebody you're somebody should be talking but in grief maybe the connection is is just enough it reminds me um of that story of a four-year-old who next door neighbor uh, was an elderly man who'd recently lost his wife and the the little boy saw the the man crying and he went into the old man's yard and climbed onto his lap, and he just sat there. And when his mom asked what he had said to the old man, the little boy said to his mom, nothing. I just helped him cry. And I know we can't sit next to each other, but we can uh, help each other cry, just just being connected. Um, and being patient, um, if somebody's angry, has an angry outburst, that's what anger is supposed to do. It's supposed to come out. It's supposed to, uh, it will run its course. Um, sometimes people are forgetful. Some people are having emotional jags. That is all part of the grief process.
0: Um, So I think it's important for folks to know, Haven, that if they have lost a loved one, and even if they were a loved one that they lost that were not on the service line of Transitions Life Care, they're still eligible to access the Transitions Life Care grief services at no cost.
4: Absolutely. And I wanted to make sure that that was said because we are... um, we are offering uh, grief support in many ways individual counseling groups um, etc and folks just need to give us a call whether uh, in the community or from the hospice or palliative care line doesn't matter the grief services are free and the number is 919 7199 just give us a call and we'll we'll tell you more about our support um yeah I mean, I think it's helpful to realize, too, that, um, you know, we have, we have technology, but we also have the mail, so sending um, cards or thoughtful gifts, small gifts. Um, it's nice to just brighten someone day, someone's day that way. Also, um, you know, if, you're, if, if you live close enough, taking a socially distant walk together, um, just getting outside, getting exercise. Um, those are some things that we can do even in COVID times.
2: Those small gestures to show that you care and that you're, you're there for someone really do go a long way. She is Haven Parrott, Manager of Bereavement Services at Transitions Life Care. Uh, if you want to access the, those resources, that phone number again is 919-719-7199. 919-719-7199. A quick break and back with more. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic.
1: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with Nicole Claggett and Jason Kong.
2: Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Don't forget, you can always find more information about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.com org, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett uh, who always represents Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. No matter where she goes, in my mind, she'll always <laughs> be uh, uh, the embodiment of Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. But as I mentioned uh, in the first segment, Nicole, this is your last program with us, but Aging Matters will continue. And I think it's, it's time now to reveal uh, who's going to be Co-hosting the show,
0: yeah, super excited. Uh, we're going to have uh, Mary Lucas, who is the director of business development for Transitions Life Care. She's going to kind of take over the uh, the torch. So we're going to just picture the Olympic scene, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you need to put music behind this, Jason. I don't know, but we're passing the. Torch. We can't afford production. Elements oh come on! on, on, the show. on. Yeah. <laughs> That's too I hear much they work. do it on the morning show. Why can't we do it for this one? <laughs> But Mary's going to be uh, coming on board along with Sam Peterson um, to uh, really c- to co-host this show and to make sure that our community has the great resources and education that they need to uh to delve into their caregiving journeys and to help face uh, the aging of their loved ones. But Mary, similar to me, has had some care- personal caregiving experiences and I just thought I wanted to let everybody get to know Mary a little bit uh, right now and and learn a little bit about kind of what brought her to Transitions Life Care through her caregiving journey. Hey Mary. Hey Nicole, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. I'm I'm, you're not, I'm just having you. I have I'm, I'm passionate <laughs> over
5: to you. I have <laughs> big shoes to fill.
0: Big shoes. Yeah, yeah. So, you've been with Transitions Life Care for how long now? Almost two years.
5: Okay, but before that you were
0: a volunteer. I know I was, that. Yes.
5: So how did all this start? So it was a long journey to get here. Um, I was previously um, at Duke University Health System, and I was working in more of a policy role for health. Um, So I worked for their Duke Government Relations Department there. Um, And during that time, my grandmother uh, ended up in the hospital with an illness. And after a lot of conversation, she ended up coming on Transitions Life Care Services um, and was discharged from the hospital to the hospice home um, on 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 at Transitions. Um, And she passed there about a week and a half later, Um, but that experience for my family was Mm life-changing. We hadn't had much of an experience with hospice care um, previously, and so that was kind of our first exposure to it, and it was just a totally incredible experience. The team was wonderful. Um, It really brought me to transitions. So after that experience, um, I decided that I wanted to start volunteering there and getting more involved in the organization and their mission. Um, And after a long volunteering stint, I found a job, which was very exciting. Um, I, I enjoyed my time. Um, doing family support, volunteering, and and decided that it was time to move over to Transitions. I felt like I was really at home. Um, so I started at Transitions shortly after that, and um, now I'm in the Provider Relations and Business Development Department.
0: That's awesome, and I know you have been uh, a great asset to the organization, so I feel very much at ease passing the torch over to you. So if you wouldn't mind, and I know this is somewhat of a personal question, but right. let's talk a little bit about sort of that whole entree into mm-hmm. hospice. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of times hospice is a really, really scary word. Mm-hmm. I know sometimes when I talk to people about my work in hospice, people, I, and, and this was pre-COVID when everybody stood back when you
5: spoke with right, them. They, right. they would, they, now they go
0: back double the distance, right. but they normally like lean back and yes. they just kind of look at you and they right. say, how do you do that? That's depressing and, and things of that nature. But I think until you kind of walk along that road and, and actually have a great experience with hospice, it's hard to imagine. So Absolutely. what was that like for your family? How did you kind of, I guess, come up with feeling comfortable with even placing your loved one on hospice
5: right so we were having a very hard time at the hospital my grandmother was not comfortable Mm -hmm. um she was just having a hard time with anxiety and a lot of other issues that were going on and Um, the hospice nurse liaison at the hospital came in and talked to um, my grandfather and my dad and my family. Um, And they took us in a separate room and and had a conversation with us about what the trajectory of what was happening looked like. Um, And I think having that opportunity to ask questions Mm -hmm. and Um, It was definitely a scary moment, the word hospice, and especially Mm -hmm. for my grandfather, who had, you know, him and um, my grandmother had been together for 67 years at the time. They hadn't left each other's side. That was a very hard conversation. Um, And understanding that she wasn't going back home, she wasn't going to be comfortable at home, and we needed her at an inpatient facility was um, something that was tough to to swallow. Um, But knowing that we had the support of transitions was something that was – Um, put everybody at ease Mm -hmm. and once we actually we we visited the hospice home on campus and I think that that really helped settle a lot of our our anxieties um the team has a great social social work department really helped talk us through everything that was going on I remember sitting in her room um and they were always checking on us if we had any questions they were coming someone was coming to talk to us about the signs and symptoms of end of life and Mm -hmm. what are we expecting next and I I think without that we would have been lost um I I, it it was just a huge help. So did going on hospice feel like giving up? No it actually felt like um, we were helping her. Mm -hmm. I I felt like we were actually giving in and really helping her. I felt quite the opposite. Um, Originally when the word hospice came up maybe it definitely felt like that. Um, but after experiencing it and, and really seeing what happened, um, I felt like it was the most respectful and peaceful thing that we could have done for her. And maybe selfless. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So I know, and it sounds like your grandmother had sort of an acute situation mm-hmm. that created mm-hmm. a, a hospice stay mm-hmm. that was rather short term, but I know one of the challenges for hospice it's just sort of across the nation and in this area as well is the length of stay that people yeah. are in hospice That a lot of times especially because we are in an area with multiple teaching hospitals and everybody comes here for a cure and for hope and, and, so folks come on to hospice you know, much later than they may right. normally in, in a different area of the country. Um, but I know that's often a regret for family mm-hmm. members after their loved one dies, once they see the types mm-hmm. of things that hospice can can actually put into play. How do you think we can, as a, as, as a society, as a bunch of providers in the area, kind of get off of that merry-go-round mm-hmm. when it's the right time and actually look at a family and say, what we're doing here may not really make a difference long term mm-hmm. and perhaps and we even find that when people go in hospice sometimes they seem like they get better. Right, right. You know, and that's right. short lived,
5: but mm-hmm. sometimes people graduate from hospice Absolutely. even and come yeah. off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's a very interesting point you bring up because my grandmother has or she had a um, heart condition. It was a very long term illness, mm-hmm. um, but it was a tipper mm-hmm. um, and her hospital stay was her final tipper to going on to hospice. But um, since then, we've taken a new approach in our family. My grandfather. Um, who is still with us, he also has similar heart issues. Um, Mm -hmm. He's had two strokes, a brain aneurysm, he has a pacemaker, um, and we have been dealing with chronic heart failure, um, along with other things for quite a few years now, and once we had this experience with my grandmother, we decided to talk to him about palliative care and getting support now instead of waiting until there's a tipper that puts us in the hospital. He was having reoccurrent hospitalizations um, and and avoiding those at all costs was a big thing for him, After, especially after seeing my grandmother and the experience that she had. Um, we decided to go the palliative care route and wrap him with the support he needs now. Um, since we um, started him on palliative care, he has not been back to the hospital. Um, he was in the hospital every six to eight months uh, we were you know always tracking him down and um, and getting on him about uh, putting his you know making sure he's eating right and doing all the things and since we've had a palliative care provider in to provide that extra support and and help our family out they've had a close eye on him and he's been able to stay out of the hospital so I think finding the support earlier mm-hmm. um, and be willing to to start that journey and have the conversations and be honest as a family and ha- and speak openly about what's going on is um, what was most important to our family and really has helped us. Um, he is in a much better place now than I think he was in the past with his hospitalizations.
0: And I think, you know, a lot of times people feel like going on hospice is giving up hope. It's giving right, up, you right. know, it's, it's you know, taking, putting, and sometimes in the South you hear this more as like kind of like putting God's will in your hands. Right. And if, you know, we got to keep trying, keep trying and never give up type of a spirit. And I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's necessarily giving up. And mm-hmm. I think that when you provide some of that extra supportive services like palliative care, like bringing in home mm-hmm. health, being vulnerable enough to talk about what your issues are with your family instead of waiting for that crisis. I think a lot of times we do this to ourselves. We don't Um, want anybody to know what's really going on with us because we're afraid, well, if they know, you know, they're going to put me somewhere, you know, or they're going to take some of my, you know, abilities to have self-control away. And I think sometimes when we do that, we're creating sort of this gigantic mountain of issues that could have been averted if we maybe just brought in a little home care or brought in some palliative care or got family involved a little bit more and sometimes i think we need to kind of put our own sort of ego is maybe a bad Mm -hmm. word but 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 put some of that into check and really look at okay this is a different stage of my life i'm going to need a little help and that's okay Mm -hmm. it's it's not it's it's okay it's just part of the life cycle exactly
2: yeah, and it's uh, there's so much fear surrounding those conversations, but we find that um, you know once we actually have them, there's, there's more of a sense of relief and, uh, hey, that wasn't so bad kind of attitude once we do that. Well, we're going to continue to uh, chat with Mary here right after this. We do have to take a break, but we will be right back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic.
1: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 985 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Clagett and Jason Kong.
2: You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 985 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Jason Kong here with. Nicole Cleggett. Nicole, this is your uh, last segment here. uh, The swan
4: song. (laughs) As as the
2: co-host of Aging Matters on WPTF. I'm sure we're going to be bombarding you uh, all the time on uh, Triangle's Morning News and the Triangle's Afternoon News to uh, share your expertise with us. But we also have uh, Mary in the studio here with us. and. You know, Mary, we're so excited to introduce you to the WPTF audience and uh, to make sure that Aging Matters continues to uh, have the impact on the community that it has had. And uh, we've also got uh, another guest here in the studio who will be spending some time with Mary here on Aging Matters, and that's Sam Peterson.
0: Yeah, so excited to have you, Sam. And Sam has been uh, with Transitions Life Care for how long now? I have been with Transitions for five and a half years now. Okay, so that's been a minute.
6: Yes, it has. (laughs) It's flown by, but yes.
0: Sam is amazing. Sam was instrumental when I first met her with the Caregiver Summits, and we talk about those a lot on this show, and really uh, just was a true champion uh, in putting those together with us for, for many, many years. And now you are embedded in the community, and you really have a great spotlight on rural Yes, yes, so I, in
6: my role, I'm a Provider Relations Representative with Transitions Life Care, and my service area is Johnston County, Harnett County, uh, Wendell, and Zebulon as well, um, and I am actually a Johnstonian myself. I live in Clayton, so um, I really have a passion for serving the rural rural area. I grew up in a very rural area. Mm-hmm. My family is from a very rural rural area, so um, that's really at my heart.
0: That's awesome, and I love the, the way that this show is going to be developing with where you are really gonna be focusing a lot on that community-based care mm-hmm. aspects and where Mary is strength uh, is related to the policy areas. So talk to us a little bit, ladies, about kind of what the direction of the show is gonna look like in the coming weeks.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are very excited to take it and continue in your footsteps, Nicole. You've done a wonderful job with Aging Matters and we're very excited to continue that. Um, we'll start to have a little bit of a monthly focus as well. We're gonna do um, some shows around February. We're gonna be doing a little bit around Heart Month um, um, and in and, and March, we'll be doing a little bit about advanced care directives. And so taking a little more of a thematic approach in some areas, um, we're also going to be bringing in some more caregivers and frontline employees um, to give us the experience that, that people are seeing front of the line, especially during COVID and throughout this pandemic. Um, so kind of expanding our reach a little bit and also taking a little bit of a look at n- the national audience. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to grow the program a little bit nationally. So bringing in some experts from not just North Carolina, but from outside of our state. Um, so some national organizations such as NHPCO national hospice and palliative care organization um, and bringing in some thought leaders from across our country so taking it to a broader reach I think that's awesome
0: I I love the direction that you're going to be taking it and Sam you know given that you've been at transitions for uh, five and a half years now Mm -hmm. kind of what keeps your heart beating with the organization
6: So not only my time there, but my team, too. We work uh, really closely within my provider relations team. Um, Also, our clinical team members I'm so close with as well. We've just really got a stellar team there. And then, of course, our mission, too, really drives me. I've kind of been in the hospice sphere for over 10 years now. I used to work uh, for a smaller nonprofit organization in Virginia when I was home from school. Uh, So I've really personally, professionally have had a lot of heart and passion into hospice. And it's just something I, I very much enjoy doing.
0: Well, I think this is absolutely phenomenal. I'm so excited uh, for you guys. And I will be your number one fans listening to you every week. I will be listening to maybe not at four o'clock on Saturdays, but I'll definitely listen to the, to, I'll, I'm going to enjoy a little bit of my Saturday afternoons for a little while here. My kids will be happy, but um, I'm definitely going to be listening to your show and I'm really excited for both of you. And, and I'm really, really grateful that Transitions Life Care is going to continue this on in the future. So, thanks
5: so much, ladies. Thank, Thank you so much. We can't wait to have you on as a guest again. Ooh, <laughs> well that would be
0: kind of fun.
2: Uh, yeah, I just want to keep bugging Nicole. I, well, my hope is that you know she'll still come by and bring me some uh, some produce from the farm. Yeah, I you know, you know you're going
0: right. to be missing that. Zucchini. Well, Mary's a gardener too. See, so, you know, I was trying to fill all of the holes for you, Jason. You know, I
2: think that's the most important part is whether or not the crisper in my fridge is stocked or not. I really appreciate you looking into that. Well, we are just about out of time here. Uh, Nicole, I just want to thank you so much for all that you've done for uh, WPTF and the community. Uh, it's it's going to be different not doing the show with you, but I'm really excited to be working with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson and con- to continue our relationship with Transitions Life Care because uh, it's, it's been such a, a special relationship here at WPTF. And I wish uh, all the best for you and, uh, you know, uh, outside of Saturdays at 4 o'clock. You've become a, a wonderful friend, and I thank you for all that you've done uh, for the station and uh, to, to help me out as well, Nicole. I appreciate Aww.
0: it. Well, you're welcome, Jason. I'll miss you.
2: Well, uh, don't forget, if you if you really miss Nicole, you can always go back to WPTF.com and click on the podcast section, and you can download the uh, Aging Matters podcast at any time, and uh, you can start catching up on Mary's episodes as well once we start uh, with her next week, so be sure to be on the lookout for that. WPTF.com just click on the podcast section and find Aging Matters. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett, Mary Lucas, and Sam Peterson, I am Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Have a great weekend.
1: You've been listening to Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.